Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tenzin, and uh, welcome to the third episode of the Empowering First podcast. And today we have some guest speakers. We have Gisela Flores and Martin Ariga. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves, that'd be awesome. Hi, everyone. My name is Gisela Flores, and I'm a second-year mentor in the Empowering First Living and Learning Community. And I'm majoring in neuroscience and behavioral biology and minoring in French studies. Hello, my name is Martin Hariaga. I'm also part of the Powering First community. I am a freshman undergrad, and I am in between uh, some majors right now. I'm thinking either nursing or uh, NBB as well. And my name is Tenzin Sering, like I said, and I'm a freshman on campus at Emory University. Um, and my majors are um, international studies. And as for my other major, I am considering at the moment Portuguese and Spanish joint major. So anyway, that's our our introduction, and um, we can get straight into the to the what we're going to discuss today, which is about I guess like conflicts from our childhood. Like, how has the experience for you guys been between transitioning from your from your high school and all you like your middle school and your elementary school to what Emory is like? How does it compare? I think we can start by maybe starting in our earlier life period, maybe conflicts in childhood, by just mentioning that I think the most difficult thing for me was probably learning English and then transitioning to elementary school itself, just because I live in a primarily Spanish-speaking household. We rarely speak any English. And also, I've been you know just reflecting back on my childhood, and I think it was also just more difficult for me to learn English because, you know, at the time I started school, I was the only kid in the family. And I was the only kid in, until the age of seven, so I didn't have anyone to, you know, practice my English with. And, you know, now that I'm older, I've realized that it wasn't as difficult for my cousins to transition into elementary school just because, you know, there were other kids in the family, like myself being the oldest, that kind of introduced English to them. And so it wasn't as big of a shock when they first transitioned to elementary school. Yeah, Gisela, I actually have a pretty similar experience as well. Um, I grew up with three other people, uh, my sisters and then my mom. In my household, we actually just spoke Spanish because our my parents were uh, only spoke Spanish as well. And so the transition to elementary school was a little rocky. Of course, uh, we did speak a little English. Not everyone was as fluent as I am here today, but it was a big transition uh, going into like a whole education, not knowing what plus and minus is, and needing to figure out uh, exactly that, like math, English, history, learning about the state that I'm in without actually knowing fully what independence means or just big words, congregate. And it's just, it was pretty difficult. But after a few grades and uh, talking with teachers, seeing how they can really help me out like as a child, it was pretty big. I didn't know what I was doing, but it really did help out just build those small connections that really helped me push through elementary school. Yeah, I, would, I definitely agree with that. I immigrated here when I was six years old from, um, from I guess, like Tibet where my family is and nobody when we got here like I was the only kid here that for my family to ever go to to an American school and like nobody in my family had any idea what the process was like also I didn't speak English at all and no one in my family spoke English as well so like homework wise like I had no idea what I was doing like I had to learn it on the spot no tutoring and like the tutoring I did have like that's I guess like something I, I could, we could talk about is like how like public schools in the U.S. are kind of underfunded and just like they don't have the resources to give enough help to kids like me who English is their second language and just like struggle through a lot. And I guess like coming to Emory, it's like a, so drastic because like Emory has so much funding for, for like everything, like even campus, like my high school is in the old Macy's factory. Like and, then, and now 
I'm at Emory, which is like beautiful campus. So it's a big transition. And I can see that a lot of the kids here don't appreciate, I guess, like how I appreciate campus. Yeah, right. That sounds very interesting. And, and I'm actually really looking forward to hearing more about your high school transition, because obviously we all come from different backgrounds. Um, and I did not, you know, go to a high school that took place in, um, in a factory. So I'm really interested in hearing from your perspective what high school was like for you and your transition mm-hmm. to to Emory. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm from New York City, so the fa- the high school I went to was um, Robert F. Wagner Jr. Um, SSAT. It was a middle school and a high school combined, and in total there was about 600 kids in all those grades. So it was very small. Um, it consisted of two floors, so we were the first two floors of this old Macy's factory in, like, Long Island City, New York. And... Um, surprisingly we were a lot better than most high schools in new york city um like sure our building wasn't the nicest but we had in terms of preparing us for college um colleges like it did the school did its job like with the limited resources it had there's been horror stories i've heard from like my friends from other high schools in new york city where there would be one or two guidance counselors to like to help over a thousand kids get into college like that's extremely scary and like that's disparity between like the difference between like public schools in New York City is is incredible like you would have the top schools like Stuyvesant and Bronx Science with so much I guess funding and so much resources even though even for a public school they like rival like private schools in New York City as well and the kids like go to really good schools and then these other schools really struggle to send kids to good colleges. I feel, you know, when, when, you, when you talk about, you know, going to a school that was in, in a Macy's, you know, factory, it makes me feel like I was more of a, like a privileged person just because, well, my high school experience was kind of complicated because, well, I went to a public school, but at the same time, my high school was home to the IB program. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so essentially all the IB students were kept on one hall, which was called the 900 hall. And you could, you could feel like the shift from like the rest of the school to walk into the 900 hall, which was, which is, it just felt like you were more privileged, I guess. Um, we had access to a bit more resources than the rest of the school. Um, and you know, we had a counselor that basically almost, I know, like, I know the rest of the school, you know, they had to worry about, you know, initiating conversation with our counselor to apply to colleges. We had the privilege that our counselor was also our English teacher. So he already knew us really well. And he was able to write us um, recommendation letters. And actually, I knew some of the other students in the school had to pay to get their transcript um, sent to them. And, you know, we were able to get our transcripts for free. And I think that's just because, you know, we had access to like this wonderful resource, which was our counselor and also the head of like the IB program. So it definitely made me feel privileged. But at the same time, I also just struggled a lot because I'm a DACA student. And, you know, being a DACA student brings on a lot of barriers, such as, you know, which universities you can apply to. Which also just brings me to say that I'm eternally grateful for, like, to Emory, just for being open to DACA students and undocumented students and for giving us this opportunity to show what we have to offer. Mm. Martin, what about you? Uh, I did want to uh, delve into uh, that topic of how did we make it to Emory, Um, right? Because it does entail that we have to, you know, have the grades or we have to have the essay for, like, every college has those requirements. But it, I want to talk more about like uh, the uh, first generation, what resources it could really have to put ourselves out there. And it is troublesome to think about exactly um, the last, last case of DACA students who are limited to the amount of colleges that they can apply to or the ones that accept people in that group. And it's heartbreaking to see like the amount of people who are either rejected or they just can't you know, afford to go or they just don't know how to put themselves out there, how to send essays. 
And for me, it was a little different. I, through programs at my high school called Summer Search, um, they helped me out, uh, like with other counselors. They helped me uh, with more outside sources that I've never heard of, like Westbridge. Through this program, again, I was able to send out my application uh, to as many, like 10 colleges, I think. And that was amazing, like considering that some colleges were like $200 just to send your, your essays and like your SAT scores. Not only that, it's just knowing, like to be able to send to those schools, that those schools even exist. For me, I didn't know about programs. I didn't know that I was able to do that. I thought that I was just going to go to a public college because that's what I've heard of in person. So I just want to see like how everyone else feels about that. Or put it, like seeing how to get to those colleges and like, like just knowing how to be able to do that, knowing that we as first-generation students are so limited in that aspect. I did want to, you know, touch on that just because I know that the college application season in, in high school was very difficult for me just because although, you know, my counselor and the head of the IB program was trying his best to help me. Um, like I said, I was in a very, I guess, privileged kind of community of the high school um, where no one else had, you know, ever been in my position. So yes, he could help me with transcripts and, you know, writing letters of recommendation, but he had absolutely no idea, you know, which schools I could apply to and which is in which schools I couldn't apply to. And and really had no idea how I would get, you know, financial aid, because that's a whole different question. And so I was really left to myself to kind of, you know, explore the the internet as much as possible, and try to find the opportunities. And, you know, I just did the typical Google search, because Google is our best friend, you know, and um, I came across the Golden Door Scholarship, which also works kind of like QuestBridge. And what it what it does is, you know, you pair with his school and it's, it's essentially, you know, a full ride, which is amazing. And, you know, I passed the first round and then I got an interview and then, you know, I, two months later, I got news that I was selected as, as a scholar. And, and I was just like over the moon because, you know, not only did I get into a college, which was questionable for the longest time because most colleges in Georgia banned, banned um, DACA students from even being able to apply. Um, but let alone having all of my costs covered, you know? So I think that's something that I'm very, very grateful for um, and just seems like a dream. Yeah, uh, I guess like my, how I got here at Emory was um, was because of a, a program outside of my school. It was called SEO Scholars, um, which stands for Sponsor for Sponsors for Educational Opportunities. Um, and it was basically, it's it's an eight-year program where you get you apply in your freshman year of high school and they help you get into college and then through college so it's i'm still in it and i i would credit that program for even getting like me to college and like i guess like making me much uh more of a studious person just because if it weren't for them i would have not known anything about the college process um i would not have known i would not be ready at all for a college like whatsoever in my opinion um, did they with like whatever like resources they gave me? They gave me extra classes outside of outside of school on like math and English, which really helped me, I guess, boost my grades up in high school. Um, they pay for my they pay for SAT tutoring like for like two months. Um, they pay for all my college applications, and they even like send me like pay for a, my like a study abroad for me that to Columbia where 
I guess like I kind of got my um, interest in studying abroad and just like learning more about Latin American culture and stuff like that. And like, they also helped me with the call, like, like finding call, like the right fit. We spent, we started the, they made me start, they literally forced me to start the college application as soon as it opened up and made me research so many schools and like took us to so many colleges for visits. Like just like a lot of college related stuff, which really prepared me more than most of my friends in, in high school who wasn't, who wasn't a part of that program. And they were also first gen. And we, I can like see the results. Like I ended up at a top, top 25, like college in the United States. While I guess they, well, even the, like my friends, not to like say they're not smart or anything. They are smart. They just didn't know their options. And like, I think that's one big part of like first generation kids. We don't know our options. Right. Like you said, it's also important to, you know, research all the um, financial aid available out there because I feel like a lot of students don't apply to schools such as Emory because they think that, you know, well, it's, it's a private school and it is pretty expensive. So they just think, oh, we'll never be able to, to afford mm-hmm. this. But in reality, I think Emory's really generous um, with the amount of money they give, they give out um, in financial aid. So I think that educating first gen students on all the financial aid available out there would definitely help increase numbers of, you know, students attending college um, and, you know, making it through the four years. And I guess we can also kind of talk about the importance of, you know, establishing relationships with, you know, teachers and mentors in high school to help you transition into college. Uh, We can, you know, talk about maybe just that one teacher that kind of helped you get to college or helped you in your process. For me, it was my, um, AP U.S. history um, teacher. I had him for AP U.S. history for my junior year all year, and then in my senior year, I have also had him for um, my economics class. So I had him for two years straight, and he really helped me a lot with the college process as well. Just giving me life tips, um, tell me, I guess more, uh, th- like, I guess like, um, I guess the more social aspects of college and like what to expect, and to like not change who I am and just be careful of just becoming someone that I, I'm, I'm not, or I don't want to become because, you know, college is like, where like, it's probably, it's like the first step in your life where you're alone for most people. And like, you, you have to make your own decisions and become more independent. And a lot of people can make really big mistakes from just like overindulging or doing things like they normally wouldn't just to like, I guess, like be cool or whatever. But I got that warning from someone who had the experience and he was, he was a really cool guy. <laughs> and um, he helped me also with my recommendations to get into Emory just giving me tips about how, like, I guess I shouldn't undersell myself and I should just push myself to reach the highest, like the best possible school I could go to, which was Emory. Like I, um, statistically speaking, like my SAT scores and I guess GPA and like stuff weren't the average here at Emory, but some, you know, I I still made it. And that was partly because of him. He pushed me to apply here. Right. And I think the good thing about Emory is I feel like they look at your application holistically and it's not just the numbers because I think if it were just focused on the numbers I think I would also not be here but I think they look at you as a person and you know all the obstacles you've overcome um and I guess to join in to the discussion about you know who influenced us I guess the most in high school and who helped us transition into the college life and gave us advice I think I'd say well the top two people were really my counselor that I've been talking about a lot lately and also my French teacher um, you know, my counselor said that, you know, if you don't get into your top school, you know, it's okay. And if you don't get into, you know, like one of the Ivy Leagues, that's completely fine. Because, you know, at the end of the day, your employers are not going to be looking at your, like what school you went to, they're going to be looking at, um, they're going to be looking at whether like, you can get the job done, you know, 
Um, and so basically, I guess he told us that because all of us were, you know, high aiming students and he didn't want us to feel like we were anything less just because we didn't get into, into, a, into, I guess, an Ivy League school. Um, so basically, he just wanted us to keep pursuing our dream at whichever school. And I think that's important because I feel like a lot of us, especially first gen, we try to prove to others that we can do like the impossible but we have to remember that, you know, we can do anything at any school. It doesn't necessarily have to be an Ivy school. I think that's important mm-hmm. to, to, to remind everyone of. And then also my French teacher was just, just an emotion, just an, an immense, you know, emotional support for me because it was, it was a rough time. Um, like I said, um, no, one was, no one had the knowledge that I needed to help me through the application process because I was the first student in that program to, you know, be a DACA student. So they couldn't really help me, but, you know, the emotional support made a great difference in helping me through that season. I, I did want to say more about uh, my inspiration uh, throughout the whole college process was actually my French teacher as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, she was amazing. Although I didn't have, like, the, the help through you know, FAFSA, like most or writing essays, she was one of, like, uh, she wrote my recommendation letter. I remember how she was, like, keeping it private to herself, and she'd be in her corner in the room just, like, typing away and just smiling, and it was just, it's just that encouragement of just, like, her wanting to to write something for a student, and it's not just like, oh, well, they asked me, so I'll do it. It was more of, like, they enjoyed it, and it was just, like, it was, it was, it was wonderful to them. And uh, not only that, the other instances where I would take uh, college classes at my community college while I was in high school, and I was I would take uh, human anatomy, human biology, and they were like five credit courses, and I was working, and I was in a musical, and it was just a lot of stuff. Nobody would support me through any of it, and I was only doing it thinking that I want to build like my <clears throat> college record. I want to be out there. I want to show that I, I guess I'm different, right? Show that I want to work, that I'm able to put so much pressure on and nobody really supported me. I talked to my counselors, I talked to teachers, uh, other mentors, and most of them said it's just way too much that I should just stop, that normal people don't do that. And it, it was hurtful that everyone was saying that I just I couldn't. But then, lo and behold, there's Madame Mugia telling me, oh yeah, I took those classes, you can do it. <laughs> it was, why can't you do it? Like, why not? You know, not even if no one else does it, why can't you? And it's just that mentality. Why can't I? Just because no one else has done it, just because no one else has set records for it, that doesn't stop me from trying or should even hold me back from going at it. And it can, it can be said for most of everything that's being done here at Emory. Put yourself out there. Do what you can. Do what you want to do. You know, even if not others are there or you're not following other, other people's footsteps, right? Uh, being first generation, I don't have footsteps to follow. Push yourself and be out there. Do it. Madame Munguia really made the whole college pathway for me. It's just so much more easier to follow. And it made me believe in myself a lot more. Right. I just think foreign language teachers are amazing in general. Because I also, yeah, I forgot to mention that my French um, teacher, Madame Dimova, also wrote my recommendation letter. And I'm really really glad she did because I feel like I she was probably the teacher I was closest to and knew me the best and I never um read the recommendation letter that she wrote for me because I applied through the common app 
used in Georgia. I'm not sure if it's used in other uh, states, but um, I chose, you know, to not read the um, read the recommendation letter. But I'm sure that she just wrote amazing things about me and wrote things that you know truly reflect my character. Just because I, you know, I was closest to her and she knew my work ethic and all of that. Uh, I guess like uh, we can a question we can ask is. Uh why we chose Emory specifically and I guess like how we're how we're um, liking it so far and how it compares to our high school or middle school or elementary school life and um, for me I chose Emory actually last minute I was going to early decision one to another school three days before the Emory's deadline for ED1 and then I remember that Emory just uh, Emory's uh, admissions officer came to my school last minute like three days before and convinced me to apply to Emory so I literally wrote my application in like three days and sent it in like two hours before it was due at midnight waited for two weeks and then somehow got in early decision one and i was like damn wow i guess like this is where i'm going to in like a couple months i was super excited to come here and one thing i've learned to appreciate about emory uh, is the weather uh, i love the weather here i think it's one of the main reasons why um, i'm able to keep going with um or be able to wake up on time to be honest but um, another thing, like on a serious note, like I feel like Emory does have a, give me a lot of resources that they don't discriminate. I guess like in my middle school, I went to a gifted and talented school, and because like I took a test and I got in and I passed it, and like a very few amount of people in who who tested like got in. And when I went in, like I didn't speak English, so like I did terrible on my English classes. I did pretty bad in my Spanish classes. So the next year they put me in like. Like, oh, I guess, like, they didn't put me a part of, like, the smart smart class, if that makes sense. Like, I wasn't taking the most difficult classes. I wasn't getting, like, the the better teachers or the better tutoring. So they they separated the school. And, like, and it wasn't, I, I feel like it wasn't really fair. And just because, like, I passed the test like everyone else. Like, I should be getting the same education as these other kids who only advantage they have over me is that they speak English better. But um, here at Emory, it's, like, once you're in, I guess, like, you're, you're you have access, to, like, no matter who you are and, like, what background you come from, you have access to every... I guess, like, opportunity that they have, every resource that they have. You just have to put yourself out there and push yourself to apply for them because, obviously, like, everyone here is extremely smart. You just have to have confidence in yourself and apply. And I guess I I have enjoyed my time here with the people as well. It's people from all different backgrounds, and they're not snobby or anything. They're they're actually good people. Well, I'm sure there are snobby people, but those people I've met so far are are genuinely good people that I, I enjoy hanging out with, so... There, there is a very good community here at Emory, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Tenzin. I am so, so, so glad that I applied to Emory. Actually, I when I was researching colleges that I could apply to here in Georgia, you know, Emory was one of them. And I looked more into, into their policies, and it seemed that Emory did not, you know, discriminate and actually was actively trying to integrate their DACA students more into it the community and give them equal opportunities. Um, and so that was basically one of the main factors that led me to apply to Emory. And also, you know, I'm not sure if this is just a Hispanic thing or probably the same in all cultures, but um, my family wanted me to stay close to home. I was, you know, mainly focused on looking at a school in Georgia. So that was also another contributing factor. And so then, as I mentioned before, as well, I applied to the Golden Door Scholarship. And fortunately, one of the schools that they partner with, that they work with, was Emory. And so I submitted my application through there for Emory, and I got matched to Emory. So that's how I ended up getting here. And like Tenzin said, I feel like 
I have an equal opportunity, you know, at getting stuff done on Emory's campus. You know, just because I'm DACA doesn't mean that they're going to ban me from doing anything. It's really just a question of, you know, working towards your goal and looking for those resources. I think that's the main thing you have to do to get to where where you want to be. Um, Because no one's going to, like, put the resources right in front of you. Um, You kind of have to, you know, look for those and work towards your goal. I'm a little on the fence. On Emory. I mean, it doesn't mean that Emory's, like, looking bad. No, it's looking great. Uh, like, during our freshman orientation, uh, I felt a little overwhelmed because of how many communications that you can make. You're in pre-med. Here's a slideshow that talks about everything, and here are the people you can talk to. You're in nursing. Here's, like, same document, but with different requirements. It's just, like, it's everything here. It's everything here. You have a health um, instructor. You have someone with this and that. Um, it's just there's a lot where I feel like I would forget to talk to them but I'm I'm so happy that I have opportunity to talk to other people but I guess work in those specific uh, departments and so then when I need help I can reach out and ask and I feel like that is awesome it's completely different to how it was um, in high school middle school elementary school well again I was mainly alone a lot of the stuff that was happening me going through what was happening I just had to face it, talk to a couple teachers, and that's it, try to solve a problem. But here at Emory, it's just there's someone there for everything, just one email away. And that was just, like, completely amazing. But the reason why I can't, like, 100% say Emory is everything is because I haven't been to Emory yet. I've been doing everything virtual. Still. I still, I'm still living here in California. I'm still at home um, because yeah, I was given to this person and do virtual classes there or at home uh but in the in the latter i would save like eight thousand dollars and who's gonna refuse that like well in my perspective i would not i don't so i get to save money i get to work um just for the time being but next semester at at emory i'm not gonna have a job i'm gonna have just a lot of time on my hands so it's just i can't wait for that to i guess like take a break It'll be in school, but it's just going to be like, I get to live on campus. I get to fully experience like walking out and seeing different professors, waving at different students, just walking across the many buildings. And I'm getting excited now, but it's just like picturing all of that. And like what's happening at the weather, I'm really excited. I'm also excited to see all of you in person next semester. It's going to be awesome, as well as a lot of the professors as well. But I think we can wrap it up here now. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I'm glad to learn more about your experience before and after college and even during co- the college and what you expect from college. It's It's been great. I think as first-generation students, we have to, I guess, stick together because I feel like no one else is going to stick together or fight for us. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess we can end it here. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. This has been... Episode 3 of Empowering Forces podcast series with me, Tenzin Suring, Isela Flores, and Martin Ariga. Thank you.